All right, welcome back to the One Giant Podcast, affectionately known as OGP, where I am your host, Adam Armbrecht, joined as always by the healthy, wealthy, and wise Mr. Andrew Makowitz. How are we, sir, as we take a look at the road ahead for the New York football Giants in the second half of the season? You know, every time you say OGP, I have friends of the show that that message me and say they just want to start singing like you down with OGP. Yeah, you know me. Like it really feels like you bring in a lot of the naughty by nature essence, Adam. Anybody out there who's musically inclined, feel free to form a little bit of a jingle. I think 15 seconds or less and we are clear from all of those issues. So, you know, don't think that we won't switch up the opening uh, theme music if somebody has the skill set. So by all means, we encourage the fan base to help us uh, grow, as you always do, by the way. When you think Adam Armbrecht and Andrew Makowitz, the first thing, I mean, nine times out of 10, it's naughty by nature. Yeah, 1988 to 1992 hip hop is yep. what you think of when when, when you get to where the my team. mind goes. So that's a that's where I am when I start up the show. Uh, as I said at the top, there we're going to get into the New York Football Giants. They come out of the bye week, getting ready. We'll have the full game breakdown at the end of the week here for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But with eight games left to play, a three and six record, we, we know kind of the landscape. Touched on it on the last episode of the NFC and where that third wild card spot may may lay out. We got to let, let's let's drill down on the numbers here and really see if it's possible for the New York Football Giants to accomplish something somewhat impressive over the back half of their season. And Andy, as you were the one who kind of outlined this here in our show rundown, take us in as we're, we're going to break this thing down into two portions rather than just fire off win loss through eight straight games. Yeah. So the giants have eight games remaining. It's probably easy to, to break it down into, you know, quarters of the season and, and we'll, we'll approach the next four games uh, for the giants. Obviously the next game coming up for the giants is the giants at Tom Brady led Tampa Bay mm. Monday night football coming up uh, in, in just a bit. That game is going to be a tough one. Obviously, the Buccaneers have lost two straight. So, you know, you may say, well, they don't have it together right now. So that's a good time for the Giants to be able to play them. But then the other side of it is like, okay, they're probably pretty mad. And they're not too excited <laughs> about losing games, especially when they have aspirations to potentially be the one seed and get the bye. Um, so you have the Buccaneers and then the Giants play the, the Philadelphia Eagles at the Meadowlands, mm -hmm. um, and then the Giants go on a two-game road trip, and they go to, to Miami and play the Dolphins in December. I bet Giant fans are saying, thank goodness that game is in Miami. And then oh, the next God. one is the Chargers. So the Giants go from Miami to Los Angeles. Not a bad road trip in the middle of December weather-wise. Um, yeah. for, for me, the way that I look at it, Adam, in those four games, it really just screams two and two to me, where – the, the Giants go in as double-digit underdogs at Tampa Bay. Going to be tough to win that game on the road with that motivated Buccaneers team I just mentioned. You know, the Giants at home against the Eagles, you, you feel like they can hold serve um, uh, against a, a divisional rival. You have to win those home games. And then it feels like you're going to get a split between the Dolphins and the Chargers. We once thought the Chargers were amazing and the Dolphins were the worst team in the world. Now we've kind of come back to earth and we've seen the Chargers are, are slumping a little bit. And now the Dolphins go out and they, oh, ho-hum, just beat Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens. So I don't know where things can stand. We don't even know what it's going to be like in two weeks. But how do you feel about my two and two overall assessment? 
Yeah, it makes sense. Listen, if you say by quarters, now we have that weird extra game in there. Giants open the season one and three. They go two and five in the bulky second quarter of the season before the bye week. So you, you like to say it's progress, right? Moving in the right direction, getting another win there. Everything that you say makes sense because we always talk about this. A team coming off of a bad loss feels like they're struggling and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and looking to make a statement. And on top of which, the Giants are going to be on the road. I don't expect the Giants necessarily to win, but the fact that this Tampa Bay defense has not been the Tampa Bay defense that we anticipated coming into the year and getting pressure is one of those areas that they struggle in. It could set up for an opportunity for the New York football Giants. I, I want to infuse some positivity here. So don't be shocked if I pick the Buccaneers later in this week. Who knows? Maybe I'll take the points. But the bottom line is that you mentioned the other three teams. It's weird. Start of the year, you'd say, the Philadelphia Eagles, what a disaster they're going to be this season. And listen, they haven't been any barn burners, but neither have the Giants. They're out there winning games, mixing it up with teams, having interesting success at some points. And then likewise for Miami and the Chargers, it's hard to see what these teams are. And really, it tells you how competitive the NFL is on a week-in, week-out basis. I want to assert that the New York football giants are capable of going three and one over these next four games because of what you said. While Miami may have surprised some people, both them and Philadelphia, they're, they're muddling teams. They're up and down. They're inconsistent. The question becomes, can you steal a road game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or going West to take on the Chargers? We know how hard it is to go from coast to coast. So it all starts with this first game coming up at the end of the week, but I'll put them down for a three and one record because I want to lean wow. into the positivity. I want to lean into the fact that this team getting healthy is going to start to show you what they should have been capable of early in the football season, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. I mean, listen, that Tampa Bay game, we said before the, before the beginning of the season, that one is one that you chalk up and, and you put in the loss column. And then as recently as a couple of weeks ago, Adam, you would have still said that that's definitely a loss. Now the Buccaneers looking a little bit disjointed. Their defense is giving up a ton of big plays. They just lost to Washington. That mm -hmm. feels like the Giants have a better chance than most people are giving them credit for. And you mentioned it. They If they win that game, then you're really starting to think the sky is the limit in terms of the, of, the, of that little four-game stretch. That that could catapult them to go 4-0. Oh, there's no reason why they couldn't beat the Eagles, the Dolphins, and the Chargers after that. No, of course not. I mean, again, listen, this is that piece going back to the Kansas City game, right? Like you right now, if the Giants, if the, we talk about, we said like, you know, what would you word would you use to sum up the Giants first half of the year? If that, that might be the number one, right? But when you look back at it and say, well, if the Giants had beaten the Kansas City Chiefs, we'd be talking about them being on a three-game win streak, beating Carolina, Kansas City, and then the Raiders. And I don't care. We 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 get into the into the weeds on the quality of the opponent at the, the current state of the season. But also you won the game, right? That's all that matters. The difference being, and why obviously I'm out of my mind, is because to this point, the Giants are three and six. So in a given in a given week, you go. Two to one odds, you're not going to come out on top. That That's the question, right? And I, it'll be interesting to see if the Giants, like I mentioned it in, in the first half review when we looked back, three and three over their last six games. Is that indicative of a team that is getting right or that it got, has gotten a little bit lucky in the teams that they've played at the times that they play them? So we'll have to wait and see, but I'll have them coming out. You you say two and two, so that gets them to a five and eight record, right? I have them going three and one, which gets them to that almighty six and seven record. And that's exactly where I wanted them to be at the start of the season. I said, be six and seven. 
13 games through and everything lines up for a showdown at the end of the year. Adam, you know what they say about a six and seven record in a 17 game season team is prime for that seventh wild card spot, right? Like, isn't that the age old saying of the, of the, the seventh wild card spot since the, since the, since years and years and years ago, when they started the 17 game season, everybody knows six and seven watch out sleeper cell. Yes. And, and so, uh, you know, I like where your head's at when we start looking at the second block here of, of four games that comes with a lot of divisional games. So the first one kicks off right before Christmas Dallas comes to New York and plays mm-hmm. the Giants in a game at, at you know at Giants Stadium that's going to be freezing cold, might I add. And then the Giants, the day after Christmas, go to Philadelphia, uh, you know, the, to to take on the Eagles. And we finish up going to Chicago and at home versus Washington. So when you talk about you know how nice it is for the Giants earlier to be able to go to Tampa, Miami, and and Los Angeles. Uh, how about being in New York, Chicago, and Philadelphia in late December and early January? I think you might get a little cold. You might see some long sleeves going on there, Adam. Um, Could be uh, the proverbial Tom Coughlin, right? The rosy red cheeks of of late and cold playoff style football. Oh, it's going to get cold. I'm I'm feeling it already. And so for me, I look at it pretty simply. Um, you know, the Cowboys look to be a more complete team, and I, I have them taking the game, even though it is in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you move over to the Eagles game, it just feels like the Eagles are a little bit better than we thought they were. Feels like a a, a split in Eagles games is kind of where, where things are destined to go to, which would make the giants. zero and two in that little, little burst. And then the big game who, who knew that the giants bears game was going to, to be big for all things involved, you know, the playoff implications as well as draft picks. Yep. I have the giants going to Chicago and being able to get a win against the bears. I just don't think that their offense is fully together yet. And then the last game of the season is at home against Washington. I don't think Washington's going to have anything to play for. I think the Giants are going to be highly motivated to get a win there. So I'm giving the Giants two wins again in the in that back half to go two and two yet again. And, and you know what what are your what are your thoughts about that? Oh yeah, listen, I actually I'm right on I'm right on point with you there. I think the two and two record makes sense, and this is why you say that first block there. You, you think well, Adam's talking about beating some some of the better teams, right? And all of a sudden it sets it up. Maybe, but you know, you even mentioned the the Washington football team. I don't know which way I would slice it. Like, I, I think the Dallas game is obviously going to be a difficult one. I don't expect the Giants to win that one. It's like the Tampa Bay game in that same regard. But it'll be interesting to see that second the, the second game on the road, second time seeing Philadelphia. By the way, in the first block where I say three and one, like I don't know where the loss is in there, right? Because it could be any any number of them. It's about game script and about how you feel about the team inside of that one. I'd like to think that the Philadelphia game against Jalen Hurts, a guy that you can maybe push into some mistakes, he might be the guy to pluck out there. I, I want to just drill in. I have the Giants going two and two in that final quarter of the season. But you said Washington not having anything to play for. Why do you do you look at like you? It sounded like you look at them being beneath or far behind the Philadelphia Eagles in terms of the way you think about them. Like I look at them as being as viable a game as anything, and I know their defense has been bad, but Heineke has shown that he's capable of winning games. I mean, heck, they just beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? Like I I can't look past that team either in that final game. I actually think the Chicago one that you pointed to becomes kind of the crucial one in that four game stretch to say. You're going to, again, the rookie quarterback, Justin Fields, how does he play in cold weather, et cetera. But there, there's a variable in every single game that I go, if this happens, then I see the winner loss, right? I fully expect 
Giants to be able to handle business at home against divisional teams. Now, when when you look at Dallas, they feel like they're just slightly better than the rest and the remaining people in the NFC East. The other thing about the Washington game for me is that I think Joe Judge might be coaching to be able to be part of the team next season. He is going to be ultra motivated to get that final win to say, hey, I've gotten to seven wins. Hey, I've mm-hmm. gotten to whatever number it is. Let's do this for one more year. Whereas if he gets only to five wins or six wins, it's easier for the organization to potentially move on. You have someone like Ron Rivera, veteran coach, leader. You know, even if the team struggles this year, there's a whole host of reasons that you could point to. They lost Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, uh, Chase Young has been hurt. Their defense has struggled. It doesn't seem like they have as much invested in that game as, as the Giants might. So for me, that's more of the reason why is a home game for the Giants. The fact that the coaching staff of those New York football Giants is going to need that win more than the Washington will. Oh, that, yeah, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fair assessment. And obviously we know Chase Young with that recent injury, right? So a weak defense getting weaker there, bad secondary. I'll be really curious from a Giants perspective, just, you know, Kenny Galladay played, let's assume, right? We talk about health, right? He played indoors in Detroit. Now he's got on the road in his career, obviously, but that'd, that'd be a fun stat to kind of look up here ahead of the, even the Tampa Bay. And as we move towards the back half of this season of how do these players perform in cold weather games? Because we talk about, oh, the team's got to come to us. Yeah. But these, there's a new crop of characters here for the New York football giants, right? Kadarius Tony, is he built for cold weather games? Can can he do, I'll say, can Kenny Galladay do what Plexigo Burris did in big playoff runs, right? Just show up and be methodical, even though he looks like he's moving across the field at a sloth's pace, just making catches and casually avoiding guys? Like, those are big factors. Is Kadarius Tony going to look like OBJ going to Green Bay in his final season and dropping a lot of big passes and big moments that could have changed the outcome of that game? Could have still had Ben McAdoo as our head coach, right? So there's a lot of these factors we don't know about. And the hope for me is over the next four games or so, as we work our way through, is that we just get a sense. I want to have a sense of certain players and how I think that they handle the pressure of building up in expectations. And in that regard, we want to turn our attention over to that side of it here. In the second half of the season, you mentioned coaching staff. Joe Judge could be important here for his tenure with the Giants. Players as well, though. A couple of the guys that we have high expectations for to help get the Giants to for you, what would be a seven and ten final record? And I have I have a back end of this question for you. And for me, I have them getting to eight and nine. Yeah, so that's what the four and four does for me. It, get, it gets them to seven games. And the reason why, just to, just as a side note, is because this feels like a five hundred team. You mentioned three and three over their last six games. Like that feels more like what this Giants team is than just the zero and three that the team started out. Where like one thing breaks the the right way, they're one and two, or they're two and one. Like right there to me is the microcosm of the Giants season. Is like they're kind of a five hundred team that got themselves in a hole early with a couple of different plays. So that's how I get to seven and ten. Um, and you probably talk- just, just quickly, you probably have them then nine and eight, right? You'd think even though bad teams started the season, but two and one record to start the year, 500 ball. And there you are a game above 500. Exactly. Yeah. that, And that's, and that's the, how narrow the, and thin these mo- margins are in the NFL. It's why you see teams like Jacksonville be able to beat Buffalo on any given day or have Washington be, win by double digits against Tampa Bay. Like, the, the the razor thin margins don't allow you to dump games when you don't have as much talent as some of the other teams do, yep. which, you know, when you look at when the giants play Daniel Jones, half the time is probably going to be the more talented quarterback and the other half he's not. So like, that's kind of why I see them a, as a 500 team. 
Uh, so when we talk about player, talk about the coaching staff, you mentioned, you just mentioned Daniel Jones. I mean, listen, it goes without saying that a team's success in the second half of the year is going to be very directly tied to the quarterback play. We've seen the giants win games, regardless of what Daniel Jones has done because of the defensive side of the ball. Um, who are guys that you're locked in on and saying, and this, this can be both about this season and get, winning games and just big picture as well. Let's take Daniel Jones off the table. We know he needs to show lock yourself in as the franchise quarterback. Are there other players that you see on the roster where you say, tell me that the outlook is positive for you beyond this season? Well, the, the player on notice for me is, is Saquon Barkley. And it's it's pretty simple. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand why I'm saying that. He is our top pick. He's the guy that Gettleman said would wear the gold jacket. He has been injury plagued and it's zapped him of some of the things that make him great, which is this like superstar playmaker. And Adam, for me, I am curious, and, and he's on notice not for, for the injuries, but it's really, uh, you know, and, and I'll, I'll go into this in a minute. I actually look at the coaching staff is, is a bigger thing for me, but when we talk about players, Saquon Barkley needs to show that he has the ability to be a dynamic playmaker. <clears throat> you look at Christian McCaffrey out there when he's healthy for the Carolina Panthers, he was unbelievable. Like yep. you get the ball into his hands and he's getting hundred to 150 yards a game easily. And that's the type of situation that Saquon finds himself in. It's not very easy, but he has to be able to show that he can consistently get a hundred yards on the ground, you know, rushing or receiving to bring that element to the giants so that, you know, the offensive line does get a breather a little bit so that Daniel Jones can take some short, quick passes so that we can actually move the chains and keep time of possession to keep the defense off the field. I'm looking squarely at Saquon Barkley saying you have to put up some big time second half numbers if this team expects to do anything. Yeah. And listen, we talk about, you know, Christian McCaffrey was just injured and just walked back out there and, you know, got right back into his rhythm. I want to take a look at what, what did he put up there for you? Yeah, nothing, nothing like a little 13 for 95 against the Arizona Cardinals, right? Like, and, and didn't even throw in the uh, receiving numbers in that game as well. Good Lord, I, I, I didn't even see the stat line. 10 catches for 66 yards to go along with the near 100-yard performance in, in the running game. Now, by the way, the last game before the injury for Saquon Barkley, he was doing that type of thing, right? Dual threat, giving you both looks. And the one thing we took away from that first half of the season and the absence of Saquon Barkley was, again, the, using Devontae Booker. Last year, it was Wayne Gallman. You see the value of staying on time, staying ahead of down and distance, and I agree with you. The most important thing for Saquon Barkley is obviously being a playmaker, but the way that you get those opportunities is to show this is the thing that I'm willing to do, so this is the thing that I can be explosive doing. It doesn't have to be 15 carries between the tackles, but when it's asked of you to go get me three yards, very specifically, a third and two, I need 2.1 yards here, Saquon. I need you to go north and south and make those plays for me. Because I'll tell you right now, I, I know you say, and it's true, it's important for this season, it's important beyond this season, I guess, in a lot of ways. But we talked about it off podcast before. I've Maybe I've mentioned it here too, but, you know, you, you got to be otherworldly, Saquon Barkley. You need to be Christian McCaffrey level important to this offense if we're going to sit here and say that you are a guy worthy of bringing back on a significant contract. Now, injuries and everything being considered, we understand that we're going to be talking about a player who, you know, do you want to have to put him on the books for $16 million on a contract? No, of course not. 
But even 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 committing twelve million dollars, we, we we've talked about previous episodes how hamstrung the Giants are financially. If you're going to find a way to finagle money to give Saquon Barkley an extension, he has to show me over these next eight games that hey. <clears throat> I'm the guy that can do it in the in the passing game. I can do it in the running game. You need to be right there behind. I don't care. I say Kadarius Tony is going to be the clear new number one for the New York Football Giants. I need Saquon Barkley to be the borderline second best receiver on this team to go along with what he does in the running game. Yeah, and and we don't need to labor the point on Saquon Barkley. Clearly, everyone knows how important he is to this team. But he's been a hot button. He's a hot button topic for. I know, I know. But but Adam, I know that there's other players that you're looking at in in the last couple games of the season. Who's the player that you're going to be circling to say, I need to see either more of what they've shown me or something that they haven't been able to do yet? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go on to the – I'll stay on the offensive side of the ball. I do have a thought for the defensive side as well. But Matt Pert to me, right? This is both for now and for the future. You were a third-round pick, regarded as being a, a very nice selection there when the Giants got him. And, and we know you lost your starting job in training camp to Nate Solder unacceptable now you've been out there you filled in a left tackle sometimes you've been very strong in the run game and a borderline disaster in the passing game i need this kid to show me that you're capable of being consistent because if you are in this season it means you probably help us win some ball games and beyond it it means that we have we have our bookends we have andrew thomas we have matt pert if you're not the guy then we're back to square one on a number of positions across this offensive line. So as we know, I like to go offensive line in the podcast. I'll, I'll circle him as being a guy that I'm really going to be watching over the next eight games. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good one, Adam, because we need to see more from him. If we do, then you end up having Andrew Thomas and Matt Pert looking amazing out there. And you're like, all right, we've got the outsides good. Now let's work on the middle part of it. You know, can I um, guess can I guess your offensive player? Do you have an offensive player? Well, so I have no, I have a, I have right, a, a larger vision that I want to, I want to do here. Oh, sure. And, and, my, my quick defensive guy would be James Bradbury. You have big money. They moved it off. They're talking about extending him to spread the money out. He's on the books for $21 million next year. You need to show me that you are a one, a high level two, potentially behind a Dory Jackson going forward, because we have a lot of money invested in you. And it's been a very up and down season for him to say the least. I also would have picked James Bradbury for exactly those reasons. I, I think we've seen Adore Jackson play amazing so far for the Giants. He's younger. He's got super talent. He's he's the one at like you know he he could be the Batman instead of the Robin that we yep. thought going into the beginning of the season. So I think we're both on James Bradbury just because of the cap hit and just you know the, the expectation. The, yeah, yeah, the expectation and the re slight regression of play um, so far this season. Adam, where I want to go is to the actual coaching staff. Here we go. And that is where I go on notice. And it goes squarely around Jason Garrett. And there's three different areas that I think are important. And I want your feedback as soon as possible on this. Number one. Within within this episode. Uh, I mean, if, if, if I can, if I can hold back how I feel right now, <laughs> then maybe you'll get a chance to be able to give me some, some insight into what I'm about to say. Sure. Okay. So on Jason Garrett and the offensive side of the football, there are three things that I want to be able to see. One, I just mentioned Saquon Barkley. You just mentioned Christian McCaffrey got 10 catches. They're getting the ball to him in space. They're not asking him to just run into the line 30 times like they do with Ezekiel Elliott in other places. Give him half the balls at, you know, out of the backfield, short little passes, get Daniel Jones's confidence, and get Saquon Barkley out into space. So that's number one. Number two. Find a way to get the ball to Kenny Galladay. You didn't spend 
20 million dollars, 18 point something million dollars a year on Kenny Galladay to be able to get three catches for you. Three catches for 45 yards is not why you spend 20 million dollars on a wide receiver. You have to get the ball in his hands. And this last one's going to surprise you because most people would say, well, Kadarius Tony, right? Like, oh, no. Isaiah Wilson. I want to see the Giants coaching staff be able to get this guy in shape, put him back on track and find out if they were able to get a diamond in the rough on a guy that had a very tumultuous start to his career. You mentioned Kareem Hunt had to leave his team. You mentioned DeAndre Baker left. Isaiah Wilson, not far behind them in terms of the stuff that he had going on. He is a tremendous talent, a first-round pick. He is an enormous human being. Adam, it would be great if in these last eight games we find out whether or not we've got ourselves a really good tackle or whether we're, you know, it's a reclamation project that just went sideways again. Would you say that in that regard, because if you're if you're looking for him, then you would you you might be farther out on Matt Pert than maybe I am, right? Because I'm saying, show me Matt Pert, you're the guy. And you're basically saying, Isaiah Wilson, show me you're the guy, because Matt Pert's not the guy. <laughs> well, I mean, we went into the season and I, I said to you that I, I think there's a world where Nate Solder is is starting on this offense. But it was a line. bad world, Andy. I told you it was a bad I, world, and we're living in that disgustingly bad world. And you're reminding Giants fans that you put us here. You I know it, this place. It's it's the reality. I thought to myself, I'm like, Matt Pert hasn't really shown me enough yet. And then that led me to, well, there's a world where that means that Nate Solder is starting. And then we got to that world where we're like, oh, no, oh, no, this is not what we want. And now we're back on Matt Pert. I would love to see him perform well. Nothing would make me happier than a Giants player that I don't think has been playing great to make me eat crow and look like an all pro. Like Will Hernandez, the first couple of games of the season looked better than I had seen him in a while. And I was calling for for Shane Lemieux to replace him last year mm-hmm. in like week two of the season. I would love to see Matt Pert perform well. I think he's kind of like this swing tackle could come in for a couple of plays and and help the team. I don't know if he's necessarily the tackle of the future. I think Isaiah Wilson has more upside that if we could unlock whatever's in there, it feels like that could be a real, you know, turning point for the giants on the offensive line. So let me, let me, yeah, let me run through this quickly in a couple of beats. I, you know, funnily enough, when we've talked about this before on the podcast, because Matt Pert, got thrust into this rotational cast last year, you start to build up your optimism or expectations around a player, right? But in a world where your third round pick becomes your backup swing tackle, that's not a bad thing, right? That, that That's a win for you. So if you told me going into next year, it was Andrew Thomas and Isaiah Wilson, and then effectively replacing Nate Solder as your backup swing was Matt Pert, you'd like that. That would be a nice step forward. So I'd be okay with that. And like you say, when you get a look at a guy that's a former first round pick, the talent is there. It's just about whether or not he can keep himself on the field, keep his nose clean and be effective. So it'll be interesting to see about that. I like that. Saquon Barkley piece, I think is really important, not just from a, and it does hone in on Jason Garrett a lot, obviously, but I'll just say as a coaching staff, right? Joe judge and the Christian McCaffrey model is it. If you have the player, then he needs to be a focal point of the offense. If I tell you that I want 20 touches for Saquon Barkley, you can say it's a little low possibly, but I'm fine with it being, 10 targets and 10 rushes or 12 rushes and eight targets, right? It's just about getting the ball into a playmaker's hand. So if you don't, and I'll I'll put it on Jason Garrett. I I dance around it sometimes. Jason Garrett, if you can't with your two, hopefully good eyes, see how valuable Saquon Barkley is to the offense and the success for the wide receivers, then you can't be here next year, right? So I think you're right there. The Kenny Galladay one, I really could care less about. I'll actually flip it and say, I think it's about Kadarius Tony because he's the future. You wasted a lot of money on Kenny Galladay. I'm going to put it in plain English for everybody. It doesn't matter what he does over the rest of the season or over the remainder of his contract. You shouldn't have spent the money there. 
But Kadarius Tony is a young talent, clearly showed that he's incredibly dynamic, and he's the guy, just like Saquon Barkley in the running back spot, he is the dynamic playmaker in this wide receiving core. So you need to find ways to manufacture getting him eight to 10 touches every single game, and maybe even a little bit more. Maybe you look at Saquon Barkley and Kadarius Tony and say, Running, passing, catching, whatever it is, get these guys involved together because they could be the young core going forward. I'm right on the edge of being out on Saquon Barkley, but Kadarius Tony completely reversed my perception about you signed Kenny Galladay. Was it worth it to take Kadarius Tony? In the limited sample size that we've gotten from him, he has been absolutely explosive and dynamic. And the question now becomes over the last eight games, is it Jason Garrett who doesn't know how to use that? What everyone else can see an explosive and dynamic playmaker. So that's interesting. The, the, go ahead. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, listen, I love the Kadarius Tony idea. It does feel like there's a lot of mouths to feed because Sterling Shepard's a guy that we haven't even brought up yet. And he's, he's the guy that actually feels a little bit like the engine when he's getting seven or eight balls. It feels like the giants win games because he's that guy over the, over the middle that can make an athletic play and pick up a first down. So like, we're not even mentioning him in the pecking order of all the people that we're going to be looking at in the second half. He's been dinged up and, and plagued with injuries as well. A hundred percent. So and I'll even go to the second layer here before I expand it out to the coaching staff a little bit. And, and really, I want to encapsulate. We've, we've given our records, right? You have them going 500 back half of the year. I haven't getting a game over top, but that's, that's to my point, right? I want to see Kadarius Tony getting eight to 10. I'm going to say targets, but you know, you can use them in a couple of ways. I still want to see Sterling Shepard getting seven plus targets in a game to your point, because he is a chain mover. I actually think, and we've seen Kenny Galladay, in the big spots when you need that little chain move, he's capable of doing that for you, but he's more than that. He's supposed to be more than that. I actually think that Kenny Galladay's job, remember, why was he brought in? The biggest piece was red zone, was being the big-bodied playmaking wide receiver when it mattered the most, when you ne can't necessarily look for Sterling Shepard to make the play at the goal line to be available. If Kenny Galladay only gets four catches a game and he only does it for 45 yards, but it's a touchdown every week, I'm fine with that because that's the most important box in between the twenties is where Saquon Barkley, Kenny Galladay, and even Sterling Shepard. That's where I think they need to shine. So things to keep your eyes open on here. Um, and I, the other thing I do want to turn my attention to is then the coaching staff. Do you think, so again, you have them going seven and 10. Does that mean that everybody's back for you next season on this coaching staff in the front office, et cetera? I mean, don't even bother about the DG, you know, are they going to just have Gettleman kind of retire or whatever, but is seven and 10 good enough knowing the O and three start to say, we're going to stay the course. We believe in what we're doing here. So I think it's really important what happens to, to Dave Gettleman, because if Dave Gettleman leaves and they don't hire from within and they go out and they get their own GM, the, the new GM is going to want to cl clean house and be able to bring in the coaches that he's worked with in the past or yep. make a splashy hire or do something. So if, if Dave Gettleman's out and it's not Abrams from within, or it's not a, a guy that's in that building today, there, you know, there's a 1% chance that they end up retaining Joe judge and, and Jason Garrett. What I think is probably most likely is if they get the seven wins, I think they keep Joe judge as the coach to say, all right, we're showing some progression. We won another football game. Have we answered some of the questions that we had going into the season? And I think it's more likely that you see sweeping changes from the, the offensive and defensive coordinator positions where Jason Garrett's like, it's kind of run its course. I need to move on to be able to, to keep my credibility. And maybe Patrick Graham is in line for a head coaching job if the Giants start playing better. So like, I, I think there's a world where it, it might just be like a hodgepodge or they clean house altogether.
So here's the interesting thing for me. Um, I think the most likely result is that nothing changes, including Dave Gettleman. And the reason being is that rightfully so. Everyone has criticized John Mara and what organization and blah, 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 blah. And you've already heard the rumblings about Joe Judge now. But nothing would be more typical of the Giants than to say, two years in, burn that bridge. Let's start it over again, right? Like at some point, even though you've made mistakes with other hires, you have to feel like if we think we've done it right this time, we need to be willing to go the extra step, right? And that's hard if you end up, say, only getting five wins. Then I think it's a whole different ballgame. But if you get to seven, like you said, you started 0-3, so you played quality football down the stretch. I think it'd be more likely that everyone stays. And to the point of, it means that the offense must be doing something right in order to be winning games over the remainder of the season. The interesting thing to me would be, you mentioned about unless it's hiring from within, I actually think, and maybe the most likely was, was, was a little bit strong. I wouldn't be at all shocked if everyone returned. The most likely version to me is, at least from a front office standpoint, is that Dave Gettleman does retire because he's put the infrastructure in place. He can hang his hat on those things. And Abrams is promoted to GM. And the assistant GM, whoever he may be, is going to be a personnel-based front office man. Remember, Abrams is a financial guy. He takes care of the money and to be fair, that hasn't exactly been low. I, yeah. so how does, that, how does that look when he's, he's the money guy and you just talked about the, the 33 million in dead cap and we're paying golden Tate, Deandre Baker and Kevin Zeitler millions of dollars right now. The numbers don't look great, but listen, he's only there to make, he's only there to make it work, right? He doesn't get to sign the checks. Dave Gettleman signs those checks off. John Mara signs them off. But I think that like, and this, by the way, it's like this weird convoluted bizarro world of like, what's going to happen. It's like, well, They've had Abrams there for a long time. The Giants like continuity. And by the way, like, so this is just from a Giants fan perspective. If you like Joe Judge and you want him around, but you don't want Dave Gettleman, well, this is the best path forward to keep Joe Judge and not have Gettleman because then you say it's the same assistant GM. We've moved him up a rung. Now we're going to bring in a personnel guy to be the assistant GM. And then, of course, Joe Judge is going to have more influence over what goes on from a personnel standpoint, right? So that, that to me would be one way forward. To your point, if at the end of the year, Abrams is not getting promoted and, and Gettleman is retiring, the one thing you can't do, you can go out and say, Joe Judge, remember we talked about GM from uh, assistant GM from the New England Patriots. Go get him, bring him in last year. If that doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But you cannot go out and hire a new GM and do essentially, again, this is why I always defend Dave Gettleman a little bit. You cannot handcuff the GM coming in by giving him certain stipulations to taking the job. I want to win with Eli. I want to, I want to go for it here. That's how you approach this method. No, if you bring in a new GM, he can come in and say, I like Daniel Jones. I like Joe judge. We're going to stick with them, but you have to afford him the ability to come in and say, I don't like either of these assets and I want to move on. I want a clean house. So whoever you do, whatever happens here, if you do bring in a new, a new voice, you have to give them full autonomy to make the decisions that are necessary. And if he comes back with conclusions around the quarterback that are familiar, fine, but you, you just cannot keep recycling this process of half overlapping from one ownership group, one GM group, one head coaching group, one personnel group, because you end up being half pregnant. And by the way, at the end of the day, if I want to give Kevin Abrams a little bit of an out, it's this is how you screw over the money guy by, by changing, by changing who's making decisions and constantly saying, remember all that money you paid to that guy? 
well, we don't want that money anymore. So find a way to make it go away. And guess what? As we highlighted previously, money doesn't just go away in the NFL. It just becomes dead. And all it does is become lead weight around your ankles. So it's interesting, man. It's, it's, it's really interesting. I Go ahead. Well, when we talk about, you know, you said at, at the end of the day, and I think this is the perfect microcosm of, of why this is so important, is that, Adam, we think about the next eight games, and people are like, oh, who cares? The Giants aren't, aren't going to the playoffs. The next eight games will actually dictate what the next 10 years of the New York football Giants will look like because these eight games will impact who stays, who goes, and ultimately, Adam, who is going to be the person in charge of the two first round draft picks the Giants have in next year's draft? So yep. when you when you think when you think about wins and losses, it's not just about it in this one season. It's about what happens over the next decade for the Giants, and that's what the back half of this season is all about. A hundred percent. A lot of things are going to depend on how this team plays, even beyond the records that Andy and I put out there. It's about the results of evaluation personnel, spending money, and knowing whether or not it's worth to invest big dollars in certain players, or if we're talking about possible trade partners for Kenny Galladay in the offseason. Anyway, my friends, the the uh, the second half of the season kicks off for the New York Football Giants at the end of the week. We're going to come back in, be solely focused on that, tell you why they can win that game and why you can be optimistic going forward for the New York Football Giants. But until then, of course, you can follow us on social media at One Giant Podcast. Send in your OGP theme song submissions to One Giant Podcast at Gmail. And as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and nay, now more than ever, demand that people know. As always, let's go big blue. 